seated. And so for the last couple of weeks, we looked at the definition of what authentic means. It means something that is of undisputed origin, something that is genuine, something that is undisputably uh, just real. And so uh, the question that we've been asking is why, why this series, you know, why this series on discipleship? But for a while, we believe that the Lord has been leading us towards this this uh, concept of authenticity, this authentic discipleship, because what I know, the church cannot live in a in this context of spiritual laziness anymore and still be effective in the world that needs Christ. There's so much division, so many uh, stances being taken on social issues, division all over the world, and the church needs to come together around the Word of God and live our lives the way the Bible declares us to live. And so we're called to live with an urgency for the mission of God to see the gospel reach the ends of the earth. So what does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to be authentic in our day? What does it mean to be authentic, an authentic disciple? More importantly, what does it mean to be authentic when it's normal to be inauthentic, right? We live in a culture where it's normal to be fake, right? We, we buy things, do things, we, we spend more money than we make, right? We, we, we try to appear better than we are, right? Is anybody else guilty of that besides me? We, we always try to put a better front forward. I mean, everybody in this room probably has some form of social media where we don't put the real story on there, right? It's just the best things, right? And so our heart is that we would see that in a culture where it's normal to be inauthentic, that we would be a church that is rallying together to be authentic disciples of Christ, that our church, the Connection Church Savannah, we exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And this means we exist to make disciple-making disciples. That's what our, our heart is. And so our goal is that everything we do, every mission, every ministry, every event, every dollar that we spend is seeing disciples being made. That's our heart is to see that in the New Testament. What we see is that being a disciple is not so much what you do. It's, it's, it's about who you are in Christ. And that's the heart that we have to see. So what we've seen over the last few weeks, we've kind of defined a disciple as someone who follows Jesus, someone who is being transformed by Jesus, and then someone who has joined Jesus on his mission. So this morning, do a quick evaluation. Is that me? Is that you? Is that, are you following Christ? Is he Lord of your life? Or are you still pretty much making all the decisions? Have you, are you being transformed by Jesus? Or have you pretty much been the same person in the same place for a very long time? Have you joined Jesus on his mission? Are you making disciples? Are you caring for the lost? Are you fighting to see the gospel reach places where it's not? Because it's not about action necessarily. It's more about identity. And today what I want you to see is we believe these identities are played out in five marks of a disciple. In the New Testament, disciples are, are worshipers of God. Last week we talked about worshiping God. 
They're members of the church. We talked about this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be members of the family of God. There's an identity there. We, next week, we're going to look at what it means to be a servant to others and to the world. And then we're going to look at being stewards of God's resources. And then finally, on the last week of this series, we're going to look at being witnesses to the world. Every member is a missionary. It's one of our value statements. We believe that with all of our hearts. So last week, we looked at Luke chapter 7. At the woman coming in and washing Jesus' feet in the Pharisee's house. She was a sinner. Most people think she was a prostitute. She was wiping the, the dirt off his feet with his, this, this, her tears and her wiping it with her hair. And we said it's impossible to worship and serve, serve a God that you don't revere. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's, where your heart is, what, what's, what picture you see when you hear the name of God, when you hear the name of Jesus. But if you don't revere God, you cannot worship God. So this morning, let's think through that because what I know is the Great Commission, the commission to go and make disciples of all nations, it's a costly command for every Christian, not just me or the leadership of the church or a connected leader, for every person who has gone from death to life in Christ, you've been given the mission, the mandate to make disciples of all nations. And our heart today is that you would see that worshiping God is costly. Worshiping God is costly. Worship, what it does is it aligns our hearts with God's heart. And what God's heart is, is his, his name being made great among every nation. His glory going out from this house into the world to see his name made famous in parts of the world where it's not. And we'll talk about that on week five of this series. There's a lot there, but what we've said in the last few weeks is if you're an heir to the promise, if you're an heir to the promise of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then you're an heir to the purpose. Not only have you received the inheritance of son and daughter, and you become brothers and sisters under Christ, you've also inherited the purpose to see other people brought into the church, to see them come from death to life. And so this morning, we've been saying this over and over again, but it's so true. The world needs to see a demonstration of Christ from the church that accompanies our explanation of Christ to the world. Because so long the church has said, don't do this, do this, make disciples, do that, do, but, have, we, but rarely have we demonstrated what a life in Christ looks like. And it's hurt so many people. And our heart today is that that would be what we're doing. So the only way that we'll see this for the, for the members of, is for the members of Christ's body to look at the Word of God as their standard for church membership. So today we're going to look at what a church member is, right? Somebody who is a member of the family of God. So if you're a Christian, a disciple, you are a, you. One of the five marks is you are a member of God's family. We're gonna look at what that means today. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. God, we love you. We praise you. We adore you, God. You're the only one that deserves our worship. God, I pray for this. I pray this morning, God, against the enemy, God, that tries to lie, cheat, and steal, and kill. Father, I pray against his lies in our hearts, God, that he may have been speaking into someone's mind on the way to church. God, I pray that you would replace those things with your truth. Father, I pray this morning for this message. God, it's tough. God, but I pray that you would give us grace to hear it. God, the ears to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would just uh, guard, put a guard on my mouth. Father, to say only what you would like me to say, Father, for through your word. God, we want to we wanna hold your word in high regard. God, because it's the word of God and it's true and it's, and it's real and it's living and active. Father, use it this morning to divide our soul and our spirit, to divide truth from life. God, give us a clear picture of what it means to be a member of your church. God, not what we prefer, not our ideas, not our human ideas, our worldly ideas, God, but ideas and thoughts and 
plans that come from you. God, we, we, we just worship you as Lord, as King this morning. God, we're your people. We submit to you, Father, now come and have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many people in the room remembers what it was like to date in middle school? Three people? Some of y'all don't even know. Some of y'all are. Some of middle schoolers are like, I know what it's like right now. Can y'all come up here? We can talk. I'm just kidding. Um, so I remember what it was like for me. I was sitting here thinking about dating in middle school. When I remember, you know, it wasn't dating. It was more like uh, there was this girl that was the object of my affection. And I, I thought she was pretty. And I talked to everyone about her except her, right? She's beautiful. Man, she's awesome. She's my girlfriend. We're going to go to the dance together. We would go to the dance together, but I would hang out with all the guys, and she would be on the other side. We would meet in the middle to dance, but the entire time we were dancing, you know, like this, I was looking at my guys like, my girlfriend. It's like, it was middle school. It was just awkward. You write letters. So I check yes or no. You'll be my girlfriend. Listen, I'm dating myself a little bit. Whatever. So we, she would come to the football games, you know, whatever. And so sometimes it got to the point where you had more than one girlfriend, right? Don't judge me, Okay. It was like, had this girl, it was, it was just bad. And see, dating in middle school was awkward. In high school, it was, it was awkward for me too. I hated dating. When I got married to my wife, I told her, I said, I never want to do that again. Uh, let's, let's stay married forever and ever and ever. Thank God for the Bible, right? And so my heart today, with that, if we would just kind of have that as a context for what we're talking about. Because unfortunately, many Christians approach church membership like a dating relationship, Right? We take, we kind of, in our contemporary church culture, people hop from one church to the next based on the craziest things. Where it's feelings, they got my feelings hurt, or I don't like the carpet, preacher preaches weird, or the, the, the music's not what I wanted, all these things. And some even think that since they're a part of the global church, I'm, God, I'm a part of God's big C church, right? They don't need to be a part of a local church, right? And I want to tell you this morning, that's not what the Bible teaches. And we're going to dig into that this morning. Um, and I'll tell you, as I was studying I was, and I was looking this week, most church experts, church growth experts, church planning experts will even tell you that if you, wanna, if you want your church to grow, don't talk about church membership. So don't, don't talk about covenants. Don't talk about church memberships because that runs people off, right? Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to talk about it today, and we're going to keep talking about it because we believe it's biblical, right? But this type of thinking is out of step with God's word. When I look at the Bible, when I started thinking about the marks of a disciple as being a church family member, what I've learned is meaningful church membership in a local church is critical to your life as a follower of Jesus. Critical. Like, it, it, it can mean pass or fail in, your, in some context. It can mean uh, you being affirmed or not. It can, it's, a, it's critical to your life as a follower of Jesus. Um, commitment to a local church should be a priority so high in your life that it shapes all the other priorities in your life. It should be so high that it shapes your kid's baseball schedule. All right, I'm stepping on some toes, right? It should be so high that it affects where you live at some points. Like maybe you being missional means you're moving from some place where you're comfortable to some place where you're not so that you can do the ministry with the church that God's planted you in. That's biblical membership of the church. And so we have a church planting team that's going to be moving out of here. We have people moving from where they live to where they're going to plant. It's beautiful. And so at Connection, we believe that one of the five marks of a disciple is that a church, is a disciple is an active and invested member of the local church body. And so as we look at this today, come with that in mind. And I, I told some people, I told the band earlier, this, this sermon's probably a little more, uh, it's, there's never an easy sermon, right? 
somebody, somebody that said, just do your job. Just preach the word. I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. So I'm just the messenger, okay? This, so some of these truths in Scripture, I think this might be harder than the tongue sermon we did too, not too long ago. Or the sermons on money. Like talking about church membership is talking about someone's life, molding their life around God's word. So what is the church? What is the church? When I asked that question this week, I asked seven people that question. I text, hey, what is the church? In your mind, give me this definition. And so people, I said, give me a, a one or two sentence answer. Every single person gave me 15 or 20 sentences. I said, let's bring it back in, right? And so what we've learned is that this is what we affirm at Connection Church, the local church. The local church is a gathering or body of believers who covenant together to accomplish the purposes of God in the world. See that? So the, the local church is a gathering or a body of believers who covenant together to accomplish the purposes of God in the world. So the church, let me tell you this, the church was created for the mission. God gave a mission and then he, then he, then he planted the church. Here's your mission. Well, that means without the mission, the church is pointless, right? Which means a church that is not on mission is a waste of time. You might as well just go to lunch, Right? It's important to see that. The church, we've heard this a million times. The church is God's plan A to carry out his mission on the world. But it's true. The church is God's plan A. It's his, it's his plan. There's no plan B. It's it. The, to reach the world with the gospel. The church's one singular mission is to reach the lost with the gospel and make disciples. And see those disciples come alive in Christ and make more disciples. And see those disciples come alive in Christ and make more disciples. And the, the entire world is taken over by disciples. Right? That's the heart of what Jesus came to do. And I, I thought it was amazing. I, I, I wasn't planning to share this, but I thought discipleship was such a genius idea that, that, that God instituted for the church. You know, if one person, if I was to make a disciple and for one year, and then that person and myself made a disciple the next year for a year, and I did that for 30 years, 8.5 billion people would be discipled in 30 years. My heart would be that we would see, if we would just get on mission and stay on task, the world would be changed. It's in time that that happens. And so we can see, as we look at the Bible, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12 today. If you want to turn there, um, I promise you I was going to try to stay in Luke. I tried my best, but the Lord kept leading here, so this is where we're at. We're just following Jesus, okay? So we can see that being a church member, a member of the church, is not something that you add on to your schedule. Some of y'all this morning are like, well, i got to go to church, and i got to go, go to the grocery store, i got to do these things. Church is not something that you have on the things list of to-dos. Church is not. Listen, church is not something that you add to your schedule. It's an identity shift. It's who you are. It's not something that you do, right? We're a family to belong to, not an event to attend. And so as you read this this morning, think about that, okay? Um, think about that as we read. So it's 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 12. We're going to go to verse 27. It says this, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized, we experience the same baptism into the same church, by the same Lord, by the same Spirit, right? This one Spirit into one body, where the Greeks or Jews, or slaves or free, we are all given one Spirit to drink. That's a reference to Galatians 3, where he said there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus, right? Takes away all of the dividing walls. Verse 14, indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Is it not for that reason any less a part of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. 
Is it not for that reason, any less part of the body? Now, a lot of stop here for a second because I'm amazed at how true this is in the church. I can't preach, so I must not be a part of the body. I'm not a singer, so I must not be a part of the body. I can't lead a group. I must not be a part of the body. I can't build a house, so I must not be on the outreach team. And so we get these preferences in our head, and we, we can't do the things we want to do. We end up checking out and just coming and, and sitting. And so many times, I want to just say, I just want to say that's immaturity. That's spiritual immaturity. And this morning, as I read this book, what it says is every single person in this room that is a Christian has a role to play in the body. And we're going to do an illustration in just a second. Let's look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, it would look really weird, right? Where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body. Let's read this together. Just as he wanted. We didn't read it together. Let's do it again. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. He's Lord. He arranges the body like he wants to. Our job is to submit and obey. Right? And so just as you, and if there were all the parts of the body were the same, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot see without the hand. I don't, excuse me, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't see you. I don't need you. Or again, I'm struggling. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Everybody needs their pinky toe, I promise. Stump it and see what happens. And those parts of the body that are considered less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. I'll let y'all look into verse 22 and 23 on your own. Instead, God has put the body together, serving, or excuse me, giving greater honor to the less honorable. Verse 25, let's read those parts together. So that there would be no division in the body. Do we have divisions in the body of the Christ? Yes. Jesus put, God put this together so there would be no divisions in the body. We're all called to play our parts. But that members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Listen to this. I don't know if you counted or were able to kind of stop and count, but I counted 36 different times in 15 short verses where Christians are referred to as bodies, members of a body. 36 times in 15 verses that Paul is saying members are parts of the body. And a lot of people are like, will tell you, well, church membership is not in the Bible. I beg to differ. It's, in one, it's 36 times in 15 verses, members of a body. And this is actually where the term membership comes from. Okay? See that? Get some emails about that one. This is how God describes a Christian as individual members of a greater body. If any member isn't playing the part, the entire body is at a disadvantage. I want to show you what this looks like. I asked some people to come help. Can y'all come forth now? So I'm going to show you, give you a little illustration of what this looks like. Um, there's a few things that I want to kind of go through here. Um, hopefully I won't make the, the microphone squeal too bad. Um, here. You remember what yours were? Well, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, here, you get the pink one, Thomas. You got a baby. Can you do his eyes for me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. And then you. Yeah, just make sure you can't see. Don't cheat, all right? You come here, I'll do your feet. You do arms and feet. Arms and feet. Yeah, yeah. You got too big of feet, man. 
Yeah. We're just gonna pretend like they're done. And you have the hands, right? Behind your back. Yep. Good. This is gonna work. Your hands are a lot smaller than Chris's. All right, cool. We're just gonna stay like this the rest of the day. Okay, Tim? See here. Cool. All right, cool. This is what I want to do. Uh, Chris's feet are tied together, but he has big feet, so I couldn't do it with my little bandana. Huh? This is fine. Okay. So what we're going to look at here is I want to show you, um, you know, Elizabeth is blindfolded. Um, you know, I'm going to get B to stand up. And so Elizabeth, she can't see, right? I, don't want to, I just want to look at these. Are, I want to do two different things. These are individual churches. This is a church. This is a church. This is a church. This is a church, right? You see these things, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to say this is one church in a second, okay? But right now, this is the church that Elizabeth is a part of. And so right now, Elizabeth, there's someone in back there that really needs the Lord and that really needs to be led to this altar. Can you just give him directions of how to get here? Right, so, so, so we need to get this man to the altar to come to Christ. We need him to know the Bible. We need him to know the Word. So he, you can't, and unless you can see, you're not able to lead him where he needs to go. You can't lead someone where you don't know where they're at, right? You're blinded. It could be a sin in your life. It could be hurt in your life. It could be just you're not saved and you're acting like you are. It could be so many things that you're blinded to. But you, you're trying to lead people, and you're going to end up making him trip all over all over these chairs, you're going to make him trip over people, you're going to hurt somebody, right? You move on. We have down here Thomas with his mouth covered. Uh, you know, uh, Nicole's like, amen, can I keep this? <laughs> and, so, and so right now, I have this over here. And so we have, um, everybody knows this, right? So Thomas, can you, back here, the same guy, um, he needs to hear the word. Can you, can you please share the word with him? Like, no, you can't because your mouth, do you know this word? Do you know this verse? Yeah, you know the verse, but you can't speak it because maybe you've lost influence because you're living a life of sin or because you've hurt that brother and you're not able to speak. Your mouth is closed. The person has their arms behind the back. There's a wheelbarrow over here full of water. There's someone overseas right now that needs, that needs the Lord, that needs water, that needs food, that needs us to meet a need so they can come to Christ. Can you take that back to my brother in the back? Why not? Because your hands are tied because you... Because there's so many different elements to these things. And so the same thing with your feet being tied. Maybe there's an unreached people group across the nation that needs, across the nations that need to know Christ, but your feet are tied, so you're, you're bound. And so you have these churches that are so unhealthy. They're, they're blind. They're, they're lame. They can't speak. They can't move because their feet are stuck because they maybe have been removed from God for so long, doing their own thing, living their own life, building their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom that they're ineffective in the world. You bring all these people together, you take their blindfolds off, you take their anklets off, you take their, you take their mouthpieces off, they're an effective church, right? So, Elizabeth, you take your mask off or your eyes. Now you can see Brandon better in the back, right? You can see him? Now you can see him, right? So now you can lead him to the cross. So, and so the same way with, with Thomas, he can take that off and he can, he can share faithfully the word of God with his brothers and sisters. Same way with Kale, same way with Chris. And thank you all for doing that. I know it was elementary, but thank you so much. But our hearts would be that, that you would see. And so our hearts would be that we would understand that, that, that the church, I believe, the reason why we're doing this authentic series, I believe the church has been handicapped for a very long time. I believe the church has had their mouth covered, unable to share their faith because they don't have a faith maybe. I, I believe that, that they're unable to see because they're so blinded by their own life and their own troubles and their own families and their own ideas of church. How church should act and be, how somebody who was bound by, you know, 
The bondage of having their hands tied because they're overcommitting themselves. Who's busy in here? Who's doing something right now they know not, may, may not be what God's called you to do, but you're just doing it because you just want to do it? You're working long hours. You're doing this, taking second jobs, doing all these things to make ends meet, to, to, to build the kingdom that you feel like you're supposed to build. But God may be saying, simplify so that you can be my stewards on earth. And I want to show you what the Bible expects out of every disciple of Christ. There's three things. The first thing we want to see this morning is the Bible expects every follower of Christ to be deeply connected and invested in the local church. The Bible, as you read it, expects every follower of Christ to be deeply connected and invested in a local church. Does that mean attending once a week? No, that's not what this means. Church is not a gathering once a week. Church is something you do at home, in your neighborhoods, at your work. The word church, um, it translates to ecclesia in the word. In the Bible, it literally means a gathering of people on the same mission. Filled with the Spirit on the same mission to seek Jesus' name made famous around the world. And let me tell you, yes, there are times in the Bible, in the New Testament, that the New Testament refers to a gathering of all Christians, not just in the world, but in the history of the world as the global church. But most of the time when you see the word church appearing in the Bible, it's referring to a specific group of Christians in a specific location. Do you see that? So a fun fact, if, if you, out of the 114 times the Bible refers to ecclesia in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the Bible, the church, 90 times, that's over 80%, it, it's referring to a specific local body. 90 of those times. Let's look back um, at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to flip through a bunch of verses today, so just buckle up, okay? Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1. It's, it's very simple. It says, Paul called to be an disciple, apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, called as saints with all those in every place who call on the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. And so you see, Paul says, to the church of God at Corinth, right? You see, that's a specific group of believers, a local church in Corinth. But then he adds, he says, call to be saints together with all those in every place called upon the name of the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then that's a reference to the local church, or the global church, you see. And what you see there, this letter wasn't written generally to every Christian in the world. Remember, we talked about this when we were in this series. This letter was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, right? You see that? Remember that? It was written specifically to the church in Corinth. The picture we have in the Bible repeatedly is one of local groups of believers in particular places called local churches. If your heart and soul at Connection Church Savannah this is your local church that you are involved in, that you should be invested in deeply. Notice as you read that, as you looked at that, Paul didn't say, he didn't, they're not called parts of churches. You know, Paul didn't say to the part of the church that's in Corinth. He didn't say that's a, that's a sector of the church or parts of the church scattered throughout Asia. No, each of these groups locally is called a church. And that's a primary emphasis in the New Testament. Local churches, local bodies of Christ to which individual followers of Christ belong. Let me put it this way. If Paul were to write a letter to you in the 21st century, which local body of believers would you be identified with? If Paul said to the church, a Connection Church, Savannah, would that include you? 
If you said to the church of First Baptist Church so-and-so or this church or that, what church would you identify with? Because if you can't identify with a local body, there's an issue there as a Christian, as a disciple. The Bible expects followers of Jesus to be invested and belong to a local church. So there, there, there's a group of Christians in Effingham County and Bryan County and Chatham County who identify themselves and belong to Connection Church Savannah. It's a beautiful thing. The question is, are you a member, not an attender, not someone who shows up on a Sunday, not someone who comes in and goes out, not someone, are you an, a member who is investing in a local body? At which point, some of you might think, well, it depends on how I feel at the time. It's not a question. The question leads to the next picture we have in Scripture. This is where it gets real for us. The second thing we look at in Scripture, if you want to go ahead and turn to Hebrews 13. So the Bible expects followers of Christ to be served by and submissive to local church leaders. Tough subject, right? The Bible expects followers of Christ to be served by and submissive to the local church leaders. If you turn over to Hebrews 13, verse 17, it's an interesting verse that helps us understand the importance of commitment to one church, right? Throughout the, the New Testament, what we see from Acts to Revelation, we see pastors, elders, overseers referred to as leaders in the church, right? We see that throughout Scripture. Listen to what the Bible says here. God's giving us a command together to follow. It says this, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that will be unprofitable for you. Let me just say, as a pastor, that's a challenging verse to preach, right? right? Obey your leaders and submit to them. That sounds pretty self-serving, right? But let me tell you this. It seems like as a pastor, you could, you could use this verse to lord it over people, the thing that Paul instructed the elders not to do in 1 Peter 5, right? But then listen to the second part of that verse, right? It says, they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So Chris, Tim, listen, connect group leaders in this room? <laughs> terrifying, right? Listen, as you lead the church, your leaders are going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for how you followed Christ. <sighs> did you catch that? Because I sure did. As I was reading that, there was this holy fear that came over me. Because as a pastor, as a leader in the church, this verse literally says that I will stand before God, the God of all creation one day, and to give an account for the people that I lead. Yes. My heart would be that we would do this with respect and humility, which leads me to ask the question to God and to, to you, who will I give an account to God for? Who is that? Who are those people? Will I give an account to God for every believer in the, local, in the global church spread out around the world? No, no. Will our elders give an account to, to God for every believer in Thailand and Israel and Africa and all these places? No. We'll give an account before God along with the elders and the leaders of our church, Connection Church Savannah, for everyone who is a part of this body. How we lead. And the re one of the reasons why we started doing these elder introductions after you go through heart and soul, some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing that now. Listen, because as leaders of the church, we are responsible for affirming that you are a follower of Christ. 
right? Our, our heart is that we would never be a church that is modeled around, oh, we come and we go, we come and we go, we come and worship, we come, hear a word, and I leave. No, our heart is that we're, you would understand that we're called by the word of God to care for you and to help you take next steps as you follow Christ. We're not, we're not entertainers in this, in, this, in this place. Our heart is that we would lead well, whether you're a connected leader, an elder, a pastor, or whatever it may be, that we would see that we're called to steward people well, look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It'll be on the screen if you want to turn there, but this is it's talking to the elders in Ephesus. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. Notice, this implies that the elders knew who the flock was that they were entrusted with, Right? This implies that we, I know who my flock is. The elders knew who they were leading. They knew who was heart and soul. They knew who were in. They knew who they were leading to, to Christ. And my heart today is that that was what we see. Um, turn over to 1 Peter 5. I told you this would be a Bible drill. Oh, my Baptists are fired up this morning. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 2 to 4. First <laughs> Peter 5, verses 2 to 4. He's talking to the elders again. He says, shepherd the fl God's flocks among you. Excuse me. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of grief for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, servants. So the Bible makes clear that the church is, 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 is identifiable. You know let me tell you, the Bible makes clear that, that church leaders, including myself, have a responsibility for a particular group of people before God. I, I pray that you would hear this well this morning, which means it's really important for pastors to know who the members are of the church, right? It's important. This is not important for pastors. This is not just important for pastors. It's also important for you and for every other follower of Christ. If, if you come back to the first part of, of Hebrews 13, God's word commands you to submit and obey to, to, to leaders in the church. But think about that. Does that mean that you're supposed to obey and submit to every leader that exists in the global church community? No. To carry out this biblical command, you need to be invested in a local body made up of pastors that you trust and that teach God's word effectively and, and steward it well. An important, po an important point here. The picture in the Bible, the, the picture the Bible is giving here is clearly not of members of a church just obeying whatever a pastor says according to his opinion. Do you hear that? If you hear me giving advice or saying, hey, do this, and it's not biblical, you do not need to listen to what I'm saying. If I'm not following the word as we lead this church, as our, if our elders are out of line when it comes to this, that's why we say that we're Jesus ruled, we're elder led, we're, we're governed, staff led, and we're congregationally accountable, which means you are to hold the elders accountable, right? And our heart is that we would see that we're called to, to follow Christ as we lead. Let me just say, there's so many people, including pastors, who are uncomfortable with the thought of church membership. Leaders are told that they will stand before God to give an account. That terrifies me. That makes me want to quit. I'm like, move over here. Can you lead? Okay. It's like, it's, it's terrifying to think about that. But think about the reward of leading a church effectively. 
Think about the reward of following Jesus in a church as a member effectively. Think about how beautiful that is. But what does it mean that I'll have to give an account? As Christians in the church, they're supposed to obey and submit to their leaders. What does that mean? What does that mean as you look at Scripture? Listen, this should be humbling stuff for both pastors and for members of the church. So we should come together humbly, doing life together. I'm not trying to lord it over anybody. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says. We're holding one another accountable. We're walking into the future trying to see Jesus' name made great. But I want to tell you this, like, I've lear- I'm learning this year, because this year we've had a lot of hard sermons. I'm like, it's not my job to, to sugarcoat this. It's my job to faithfully give you this. And so this morning, this is what I'm trying to do. And so don't worry. Point three, we're about to go into it gets even more humbling, okay? So when you see in God's word one more way, this is the last point, that God expects followers of Christ to be members of, of a local church. The third thing. The Bible expects followers of Christ to desire and, lead and yield to accountability in the local church. I said desire. Who desires accountability? Some of y'all raise your hands, but deep down, maybe you don't mean that, right? Because when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, it's like it feels painful, right? But in the church, in the context of the church, it's done in love. You might think the Bible is taking this way over the top here, but let me, let's, go to, let's go to 1 Corinthians 5. We're about to get really real in this house, right? 1 Corinthians 5, the point is the Bible expects followers of Christ to desire and yield to accountability in the church. You might think that the Bible is taking it too far, but look at 1 Corinthians 5. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Still, I feel like we're never going to get out of the Corinthians because we're here again. Uh, maybe God's trying to show us something still. Um, Paul was in his letter to this identifiable group of people in Corinth. He says this, verse 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you in the church. And the kind of sexual morality that is not even tolerated among the pagans, the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? So you see, the person is living in sin. He's arrogant. He's not repenting. He should be removed from the body of Christ. Now you're like, whoa. You're saying we're supposed to kick people out of church? I ain't said anything. The Bible said that, right? I, I didn't say a word about that, right? So as I read this, I'm like, man, that's, that's tough, Paul. Like, well, God, what are you trying to show us in this? You know, he's trying to show us that we're only as good as we are submitted to the Lord. And as we follow Jesus in this, I want you to see what is going on. What is happening here in 1 Corinthians 5? Paul just told his church a member is having an affair with his dad's wife. He's having an affair with his stepmom. This is sin. Can we all agree this is sin, right? Right. This man refuses to repent. So what does Paul tell him to do? Remove him from among you. Now look at the last two, cha- last two verses of this chapter. Paul says, this is big. Please pay attention to this. The last two verses of this chapter, verse 12 and verse 13. I think it'll be on the screen. Maybe not. We'll see. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. So you see, what business is of mine to judge someone who's outside of the church? It's my job to judge those that are inside the church. You see, there's a, there's a significance between someone who's a member of the church versus someone who is not a member of the church. You see that? And so as you look, do, do, do you see what's happening? Do you see 1 Corinthians 5 is it's only possible if we understand biblical church membership. 
right? A disciple is a member of God's family. So here in the church at Corinth, people are identified as being inside a church or outside the church. They were members of the church or they were not members of the church. There, there was only two categories that they fell in in, in, the, in Corinth. And so there comes a point if a member of the church, a brother or sister in this room, myself included, who continues in willful, blatant, unrepentant sin that they need to be removed from church membership, which is exactly what Jesus himself actually taught in Matthew 18. Let's turn to Matthew 18. Let's keep looking throughout the scriptures. I bet you are like, man, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, right? This, is, this church thing's tough. It's actually not. It's our pride that gets in the way, right? Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. This is Jesus talking, right? This is our Lord, right? So if anybody has a problem with 1 Corinthians 5, well, Paul was just a man. Well, this is Jesus, okay? So let's, let's kind of confirm this together, okay? This is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who you'll be worshiping forever and all eternity. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. That doesn't mean go gossip to everybody else about what happened. It means go to him in private, right? If he, is listens, if he listens to you, you have won your brother, but if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. He's, re he's referencing an Old Testament reference there from Deuteronomy. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention to even the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be even bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven Again, truly I tell you, if two of, of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among you. Verse 15 to 20 is talking about restoring a brother from sin. So don't read into verse 18, 19, or 20 in any other context other than restoring a brother or church discipline. Anybody who says where two or more are gathered, that's out of context unless it's talking about church discipline. What it's showing you is God has gave the authority to his church to, de to, de to, de to, de to declare the terms for forgiveness and unforgiveness to wayward people. He's given authority to the body of Christ and its leaders. So in other words, if a brother or sister is unrepentant and won't turn from sin after a private meeting, no gossip, a private meeting, because don't, don't pile sin on sin, Right? If, you, if, you, if you're having that one-on-one -on -one meeting, then you bring a brother or a sister along with you, and Jesus says, tell it to the church. It's getting awkward right now, right? Hey, guys, we've got to share with you something that happened this week. Y'all are like, I'm out. I don't want to be in that meeting, right? I don't want to hear about this stuff. But the, the Bible tells us to, to act this way. So what does that mean? Does that mean I tell the entire global church of Christ, like, hey, people in Africa, you know, Patrick did this. You know, Michael did this. This happened. This was what? No. So what does it mean? Does that mean we tell? No, that's not what it means. This means to tell it to the members, the other parts of that man's church. It doesn't mean to tell the First Baptist Church of so-and-so and, -so and uh, the Grace, this, that, and other church down here. That's not what it says. It says tell the members of the church. So what that means is if there's members in here that are not members of this church, we would ask you to leave to have a family meeting. That's when it gets weird because you're left in that middle ground. Hey, am I a member or am I not a member? Right? And our heart would be under understand that this is what the Bible is telling us to do. Then if he refuses to listen to even the whole church, then remove him from the church as a whole. This is what it means. It's crazy. It's pretty clear that these passages are pointing to a biblical expectation of Christ's followers being identified as church members. You hear that? 
disciples desire and, and yield to accountability like this in the church. If you're a true disciple, you, you desire this. I pray this would happen. I had a brother ask me if he could hold me accountable two weeks ago. A, a year ago, that would have made me so insecure. I'd be like, no, 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 no. I don't wanna. But I was like, give it to me. Like, I want that. Give me some accountability in this. And, but, my, my, but, but also, when someone gives you accountability, you say, God, is this, is this true? And God will confirm it if it is or it isn't. And God will give you the power to change the grace to change and move in the right direction. And you might think, do they? Absolutely, we do. At Connection, we believe that a mark of a disciple is someone who desires and yields to accountability in the local church. They are a member. I think about my life. My life as a Christian, as a pastor, if I'm wandering off in unrepentant sin in a way that will destroy my life, our church, my marriage, my family, my reputation, the reputation of Jesus, I pray I would have brothers and sisters in my life who would warn me, don't go that way. Stop. Come back. I desire a church. People who would love me enough to not gossip about me, but call me back when I wander away from Christ, which I'm prone to do in my sinfulness. And I have some bad news. So are you. We're sinful people. But Jesus has given us his spirit to guide us and to lead us and to empower us and to give us freedom from sin. But in a culture of individualism, which we live in, accountability and expectations of holy living feels like an attack or abuse. Does it? Right? We live in this culture of individualism where I'm trying to be the best me that I can be, right? Accountability feels like an attack, right? I get so isolated that I don't have any close, close friends, the people who know me better than anyone. I isolate myself so that accountability can't happen because I know it hurts. Guys, listen, the church, in the church, we're called to be so intimately connected together and invested in one another's life that I have influence in your life, you have influence in my life, you're able to speak into my life because with influence comes input. I'm able to input in your life because I have influence. This happens best in the connect group. If you're not involved in a connect group, we believe it's where real life change happens, you should join one a day. Right? Our heart is that you would be involved in community so that this can happen effectively. Because if I go to a visitor today who's come into this building and I say, hey, I think you're living in sin, that doesn't work. Because that, that person doesn't know me from anybody. But if I'm doing life with somebody, you trust me and I trust you, and we're, we're not isolated, but we're, we're, we're intimately connected at the heart level, we're able to do that together. And this, part, this is part of how the Bible defines being a member of the church. Because let me tell you what, I want to blow your world up with this. Accountability is not abuse. And demanding holiness in your life is not being controlling or micromanaging. Do you hear that? While you're like getting nervous, it's like, I see this. <laughs> Accountability is not abuse, it's love. A demand for holy living is not being controlling or micromanaging. And this is part of how the Bible defines a member of the church. Membership means I desire this from others and I submit to this accountability. I will carry this out with others and I will pursue others in love. And this is one of the clearest ways that we care for one another in the body. You know, this is accountability. And there, there are other places in the body where we're, in the Bible where we see this, like church members are accountable for making sure the gospel is being preached in the church. If you hear me preaching or someone else from the stage preaching anything other than the gospel truth, you're called to hold us accountable. Also, church members are accountable for commissioning and sending missionaries from the church. You're called to send missionaries to the unreached. The church has done a bad job, so you, what you see, you see a lot of sending organizations pop up doing the job of the church. The church is supposed to be the one who sends people out. 
Guys, but when you put all this together, you realize the Bible is flying straight in the face of American individualism and all of our skepticism. And to be honest, it's flying straight in the face of much of our contemporary church culture. It's begging every follower of Christ to ask the question, where are you committed as a member of the local church? It's not asking, where is your name on a roll somewhere? It's not asking, where do you go, come, where do you, where do you come listen to sermons at? No, the, the question is, where are you committed to gathering together every week with a group of believers where you're mutually submitting to the Word of God and to one another, where you're giving your time, treasure, and talents, where you're caring for one another, where you're taking a responsibility for helping other members of that body grow in faith? Where are you sending missionaries to places that don't know Christ? Biblical church membership is a meaningful commitment to following Jesus together as a church. And the more as I was praying about this sermon this week, I couldn't help but think about all the people, even sincere followers of Christ, who view church today as a merely a service that you attend. Guys, that is not how God designed his church. That is not how he designed this body. This is not what God has designed for you to experience. God has not designed the church to be an event where we passively sit and watch a stage together, then move on into everyday life. Yes, we worship together. We sit under preaching of the word together, but we also made the gospel known in our neighborhoods together and around the world. We, we made disciples together. We pray together. We give together. We hurt together. We rejoice together. We mourn together. We do life together. And this is what it means to be a member of the church. It's about being committed to a family. And if it's at this church and if it's at another church, my greatest desire is for everyone in this room for you to be deeply invested as a member of a local body. If you've been coming to this church for any extended amount of time, a week, two weeks, three weeks, three months, and you haven't bought in and said, hey, I'm gonna sign for heart and soul, I'm going to the next thing, my heart would be that you would find a church that you can invest in, whether it's here or anywhere, and get invested. Make a sacrifice of your life before Christ to a body of Christ. And that's the whole point of the imagery in 1 Corinthians 12. On our own, without other members of the body around you, you're like a hand without a foot or an eye without an ear. But as it is, as I, even as I say that, I know that some of you in the past have experienced church hurt. There's probably a large percentage of people in this room that have been hurt by the body of Christ. Can I tell you right now that since we're all sinners, you're going to get hurt. But the church was designed for you to be healed in the same place you were hurt in. And our heart would be today that on your own, you know, we, we, would, we would see that we're worth it. We're not, we're, we're not able to do what God's called us to do. But when you think of the church, you, you don't think about experiencing God's love because you've been hurt. You think of wounds. And if that's the case, I just want you to hear, that's not God's design for the church either. But at the same time, I want you to hear very clearly from this stage, from the pastor's mouth, that Connection Church Savannah is not a perfect church. Don't say amen. But it's not. It's not a perfect church. The church is made up of a bunch of messed up people. 10 out of 10 people in this room are messed up. I don't care how well ordered you got your life. You got, you got some issues. Don't, you know what I mean? You open some of them closets, some ceilings going to fall out, right? My heart will be that we would see that we're all messed up and we need Jesus. That's the point. 
Jesus didn't die because he didn't love us and die for us because we were perfect. He loves us despite our, incon- our, our, our imperfections. This is my question. How will we display the glory of the one who sacrificed his life for the church if we sacrifice nothing for the church? That's the heart this morning. How will we display the beauty of the bride of Christ if all we do is date the church and constantly looking for something better to come along that appeals to our preferences? That speaks nothing to the, to the world other than division, chaos. Being a part of the church is a good reminder every week that your faith is not about you. Guys, God's glory is displayed most clearly not through your individual commitment to Christ. Listen, you may be an incredible Christian. That's wonderful. But think of it. When you're, you bring that together in the body of Christ, that's when Jesus is glorified. That's when, don't miss this. Your purpose in the world is so much larger than your individual life. Guys, the the local church is a gathering or a body of believers who covenant together to accomplish the purposes of God in the world. This is done with people from all different backgrounds, different gifts, skills, passions, different people who uniquely come together in Christ to display His glory to the world. That's the church. And lastly, listen, I realize that some of you today aren't Christians. Some of you aren't followers of Christ in this place. And I want to invite you to become a follower of Jesus today. The whole reason we exist as a church is because of God's love through the gospel. That's it. It's like, apart from God's love, we're one messed up group of people. It's God's love that brings us together. But the good news is God's love's messed up people. Who's happy about that? Right? This morning, I pray, if you're not a Christian in this room, that you would just listen to this, but... We do know this. We know that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die in our place, to live a perfect life of obedience to God that we can never live. And then not only that, he, he, even, he hadn't sinned against God. Jesus paid the price for our sin by dying on the cross in our place. He died for all of our imperfections, all of our sins, all of our rebellion against God. The way that's played out in our lives is that Jesus paid our price on the cross. Then he rose from the dead. He defeated death and sin. And he's coming back again one day. That's why we celebrate communion. That means anyone who puts their faith in Christ this morning or anytime when you're by yourself in your car, at home, in your prayer closet, anywhere, shower, whatever it may be. Anybody who puts their faith in Christ as Savior and Lord is forgiven of all their sins and reconciled back to him forever to be sons and daughters of the King, brothers and sisters of the church of, in Christ. And this is what it means to be a part of the church. Don't, don't think, what do I have to do to clean myself up in order to be a part of the church? Guys, it's not based on what you do. It's based on what God's done in his love. You don't have to do anything. The only thing you offered the gospel was your sin, and he died for that. Listen, you never put your, if you never put your faith in Jesus like that, I want to invite you to put your trust in him today. And as you do, we invite you to become an invested local body, to be invested in the local body of Christ. What better day to come into the family of God than the day we're talking about church membership, right? So if that's you this morning, I want to give you the opportunity. If you know, hey, Michael, I've just been playing games with church. I've kind of just been kind of on the outskirts looking in. I knew Jesus died for me, but I've never taken it personally. Like, hey, he died for me personally that, I, that I'm called to live a new life in Christ. I, I, you know, I've, I've heard the stories about, you know, him dying for my sins and all this, but I've never really lived it out. So this morning, if you know the day, is the day for you to be saved, to come to Christ, to come into the family of God. I just want to ask you to do something super bold and just lift your hand and say, that's me today. And we want to pray with you. Amen. Anybody else?
Christ this morning for the first time. Okay, I'm, we're going to sing one more song before we leave, but I want to pray for you. As I pray, you come, come to this altar. Come, allow the Lord to, to, to work in your life. We pray for us. God, we love you. We praise you. We, we thank you. We, we adore you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you for what you've done through the church. God, I pray that you would just work in us as a church, Father, to be the light for this world that you placed us in, Father. I pray that we would be faithful to you, Father. We would be faithful members of your body. God, we would see who we're called to be, and we would be obedient sons and daughters of you. God, thank you for loving us in our imperfections. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. God, make us new, make us fresh, make us clean. We pray that you would be glorified in all we do and say, Father. Send us out this week. Use our voices, use our hands, our feet, in Jesus' name.